In the opening verses of chapter 5 of Matthew, Jesus describes the person who is rooted in God as blessed. And he gives eight steps of blessedness. They are poor in spirit, mournful about sin, meek, hungry, and thirsty for righteousness, merciful, pure in heart, peacemaker, and persecuted for righteousness. These are steps to godliness, and they take a lifetime to accomplish. One way that I think about the Christian life is as a spiral to godliness, and the spiral of godliness is a special circle that funnels to a point as we achieve these beautiful attitudes that Jesus listed. We see a lot of funnels in nature. One of the ones we get around here too often is a tornado. A tornado makes a powerful funnel. At its top, it is wide and can be uh, very huge, cover a big expanse. But then it narrows down to a small point. And as that small point moves along the ground, it wreaks destruction, great destruction sometimes. It changes everything it touches. Like the tornado, the Christian life spirals to a point of godliness, but unlike a tornado that destroys, the Christian tornado brings blessing or should bring blessings to others. Sadly, too often, however, instead of being a Christ-powered tornado, we're a bunch of little dust devils. But there's another aspect of the spiral that illustrates our Christian walk. As mentioned, the spiral, of course, starts as a circle. We go round and round in life, learning the, living the circles of faith. And I find that I, anyway, and I, I believe it applies to all of us, can get stuck at a certain loop and stay there until I learn what that is that God wants me to learn from that lesson. When I do, then I go down to the next level, and I'm there until I learn that one, and then there's another and another, hopefully all drawing me to a point of being like Christ, of becoming closer to Him, of being more like Him, learning begins with becoming aware of the lesson to be learned, and then we study the facts of that lesson. It is followed by application of the lesson, and we remain in that revolving cycle until the lesson becomes habit. We can celebrate achieving the milestone of the lesson. It is becoming like Christ, but then we learn that God isn't finished with us yet, he doesn't let us remain there celebrating. We have more we need to learn. He wants to take us deeper. We are told to, be, to develop the mind of Christ, to be like Christ. And that is a lifelong process. The next circle of lessons is waiting for us. And God's plan for our lives is to be like Christ. And so we move on through those. As we become like Christ, we become salt to the world, giving delicious flavor, 
preservation and pain, but pain that leads to healing. We're going to think of those three attributes of salt and relate it to the Christian life. Salt adds flavor. That's the easiest one for us to all understand. Probably every one of us at the table today will grab that salt shaker and sprinkle some on our food. It helps the food, the flavor of the food pop. Salt by itself is not something we would typically, though there's probably somebody out there, but we typically would not just sit there and eat salt by itself. But when we sprinkle a few grains on top of the food, the flavor of that food explodes within us and brings us great joy. Salt, Christ like salt adds flavor to our life. He makes the mundane glorious. He strengthens us through our struggles. He soothes our sorrows. He empowers us when we are weak and he does so much more. We are Christ in this world. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20 says, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. When we accept Christ as our Savior, when we understand the depth of our sin, the need for His redemption, the need for His atonement, and we partake of that gift, the Holy Spirit then comes and indwells within us. And so we become a vessel for God then. We become a vessel for that part of the triune, the Holy Spirit, but that is the embodiment of God within us. And so we are the ones who carry Christ into this world. After Christ atoned for our sins by His death on the cross and He rose again from the grave, He ascended to the right hand of the Father. But after He ascended, the Holy Spirit, that third person of the triune Godhead I spoke about, descended to indwell within every believer that receives Christ's gift of salvation. We are that embodiment of Jesus through the presence of the Holy Spirit. By His presence in us, He is present in the world today. That is a glorious and a terrifying thought. Glorious in that we get to be an ambassador for Christ. That is a high honor. To be asked to be an ambassador of the United States of America is a tremendous honor, and those ambassadors go to the country to, to, that they're assigned to with the full weight of what America stands for behind them. We as Christians who are ambassadors for Christ, and that verse is on the front of your bulletin, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, 2 Corinthians 5.20. It is glorious to be and dwelt and empowered and used by the Supreme God in that way. But it's terrifying because it is such a responsibility. God calls us to be His ambassador, and that means taking His message to others, not our message, not what we think should happen, but what God has said for them. And so we become that conveyor of truth. And that is terrifying because that presence within us is an overwhelming responsibility. 
beyond our strength or knowledge, but we're not to achieve it by who we are. That's the glorious part. If wit was dependent upon us, we would probably shrivel up into a fetal position realizing the overwhelming responsibility it is. But God who calls us to that act and fills us with Himself through the Holy Spirit, and that Holy Spirit enables us to do more than we can do, to understand more than our understanding can grasp. And we can do the work of Christ, not by our strength, but by the Holy Spirit working through us. And He does that with each of us in our unique natures. We are different. We're similar in so many aspects, but we are unique. And God has created us that way. We are told that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And before we, and while we were in the womb, God saw us and knew us. He created you to be who you are, and He uses His creation, if you will let Him, to work in a unique way to touch lives that someone else can't touch. And it's a very logical thing to me of that's why we need each and every one of us working for Christ, proclaiming the gospel, because no one of us can reach everybody. It takes all of us to connect with all of everyone out there. And so God uses that unique ability that He has given each one of us the talents, the gifts He's endowed us with to touch them, our experiences. A person who has experienced being in the military, being in battle, being in that discipline can relate better to another person who's now there or who served in the military than I can who has never served. A person who has particularly a skill, who has worked on a farm and has tilled the soil and planted the seed and grown the crops and harvested them is able to talk to another farmer in a way that I can't. They can connect. There's a great story of a pastor who was wanting to go on visitation and he asked one of his deacons to go with him. And his deacon tried to beg off. I can't go, I don't talk to people. I don't know how to talk. And the pastor said, would you just accompany me? Would you just give me someone alongside to go? And so he agreed on the promise that he wouldn't have to say anything. When they got to the other man's house, he had converted uh, his garage into his man cave. And when they walked in, on the wall were rods and reels, uh, cases of lures that he used, fish that he had caught. And it turns out that the deacon was also a fisherman. And he started asking, well, oh, I see that reel there. That's a so-so. And he talked about it and compared it. And so they, as fishermen, were able to talk and, and the pastor's just standing there. He doesn't have anything to do. Those two men are talking, but he almost, he says, he almost fell out when his deacon said, you know, we got other fishermen at church. You ought to come and be with us. And so this person who thought he didn't have anything to say found he could connect with that person 
on something like fishing. And through that, then, he felt comfortable to say, come meet my other friends, my other fishermen friends. Come to church. And so that opened a door. So that's how God can use our unique personalities, our experiences, our loves, our hobbies to connect with other people. And so we are those ambassadors. Salt is also a preservative. Salt was vitally important in preserving meat before the days of refrigerators, and it's still used today in that way. A favorite food in my family is corned beef hash. We've had kids visit us that turned their nose up at it because it looked like dog food, but we like it. We fry it up in a pan. I like to put some eggs over it. Got to give them a little bit runny so I get some yellow in with the corned beef hash. I'm getting myself hungry. We also put it on, uh, this is a recipe from my mom. We take a piece of bread, we put a little mayonnaise on it, we cut a little hamburger of corned beef hash out of the can, put it on there, put some butter and broil it to where it's toasty. Sue likes Reuben sandwiches, which is made from corned beef. And so it, the corn of corned beef are kernels of salt that are embedded in the meat. That's what makes it corned beef, if you didn't know. And that's what the corned beef is. Christians, by their involvement, but also just by their present, help in varying degrees to preserve a right way of life. One, just by Christ infilling us, being present in us, that makes His presence throughout the world. And so even those who deny Christ and His power are impacted by the presence of Almighty God, by His presence in their midst, even though they deny it, even though they don't see it. We preserve life in that way. If all Christians were pulled from this world, as we will be when we are called up, as described in 1 Thessalonians 4.17, where Paul writes, After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. We are the presence of Christ in our world today because He indwells each and every Christian. And even if we do nothing but live, that still has an impact on our world because Christ impacts wherever He is. But we are to go beyond that. We cannot imagine the mayhem that would result in the free reign of Satan and his demons to roam the world. The presence of Christ holds back the power of the evil one in this world. By the presence of Christ in you, you are protecting and preserving the world around you. Look at 2 Thessalonians 2.7. For the secret power of lawlessness is already at work, but the one who now holds it back will continue to do so till he is taken out of the way. The one that's speaking of First off, is Satan and the powers of darkness, that power of lawlessness. We see it every day. We see them at work destroying our world, our society. Then it goes on, but the one who now holds it back, 
That's talking about Jesus Christ. Continues to go do so till he is taken out of the way. When does that occur? When we are called up. When Christians are called up out of this world, that will leave the world devoid of the presence of Christ in that way. Yes, God is still there. God is everywhere. But it takes the presence out. And that's what Paul's talking about in Thessalonians 2.7. We'll continue to do so, hold it back till he is taken out of the way. And so just having Christians in this world protects and preserves. Finally, and confusingly perhaps, we as salt are pain to the world, but that's a good thing. Pain tells us there's a problem. Lately, I've been struggling more and more with the pain of arthritis, and I've learned I have some bone spurs and one's in my foot. If you see me hobbling around, it's because that bone spur is aggravating me. It's in my knees, my thumb joints, even some of my toes. I can take a pain reliever or I have an arthritis cream and it eliminates or reduces the pain, thankfully. But those remedies do not remove the arthritis. Additionally, because I don't feel the pain as acutely, I go on my merry way. I went for a long time not seeing a doctor because it's okay in the morning and I can rub some cream and, and, and keep going. But the pain drove me to seek a doctor's care, and in the doctor's examination, I found both of my knees are nearing bone-on-bone conditions, and I found out about the bone spurs. Knowing about that condition, I'm now pursuing the means of correcting the problem. But if I hadn't had the pain, I wouldn't know there was a problem. And that's a danger of numbing the pain. It's painful to put salt in a wound. You've probably done that at some time. Had a little paper cut on your finger, the next thing you know, you get some salt in there, it stings like the dickens. But salt or saline, sterile salt, is commonly used in a wound because the salt creates a condition where bacteria can't grow. If that bacteria is allowed to grow, what happens? Infection. If that infection gets bad enough, what happens? You lose the digit or you become septic. Very serious. So that salt, while it caused pain to be placed in the wound, reduces contamination and bacteria, allowing the body then to heal itself, this great creation that God made. The teachings of Jesus, the gospel itself is an offense to an unbelieving world. John 6, 60-61 gives us an account. Jesus is teaching. And the followers of Jesus are offended by that teaching. Those two verses say, On hearing it, many of His disciples said, This is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that His disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, Does this offend you? When we proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's going to cause offense because it is saying you have sin in your life. 
you're doing wrong. And none of us like to hear that. But none of us will change what we're doing wrong until we recognize we're involved in a harmful activity. Dave Ramsey started the Financial Peace University where he counsels and helps people to get out of their financial dilemma. And he makes a statement that no one will make the changes necessary, speaking of finances particularly, until they feel the pain of their bad decisions. Until they get so tired of being in debt and living paycheck to paycheck and struggling to meet those bills, until they sufficiently feel that pain, they won't take the steps it takes to get out of financial bondage. And it's pretty true about anything. We, we have to get to a place of severe discomfort to change what we're doing. Pain tells us that. Pain says there's something that needs to be looked at and corrected here. The, te- the teachings of Jesus are an offense. But by that offense of the cross, people realize their sin. It is by the offense of the cross that people are saved. Today we work so hard not to offend people, and and that's primarily a good thing. But we can carry it too far because we can also harm these people we're seeking not to offend because we don't tell them the good news of Jesus Christ, that we don't tell them of the lack in their lives, of the sin in their lives, and that there is a way out. There is a way to be free of bondage. What we are doing when we don't tell them about Jesus Christ is detrimental to their lives and souls. And the result is we become an accomplice to their destruction. Heavy, heavy thought. Remember the words of Edmund Burke. You've heard them before. The only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. When we keep the good news of Jesus Christ to ourselves, because we don't want to offend or hurt somebody's feelings, we allow them to be open to the lies of the enemy. You see, there is someone out there that is going to talk to them. And if there is a void of their not hearing about Jesus Christ, Satan's not going to say, okay, I'll back off too. He dives in all the more. Scripture tells us that the devil is a, a, a ravenous lion seeking who he may devour. He's trying to draw people away from God. And when we don't put the salt in the wound in this case, when we don't proclaim the gospel, we are giving him an open door to come in with his lies. Salt adds flavor, salt preserves, and salt provides healing. Christians are to be the salt of the earth. Jesus goes on then to teach us to be the light of the world. He makes a simple analogy of one who has a lantern but hides it under a basket. And the result is no one benefits from the light if that happens. 
No one in their right mind would do that. You wouldn't go camping in the dark woods, light a lantern, and then cover it up. It, it defeats the purpose of that light. The lantern is lit to illuminate the way for themselves, but a lantern is also beneficial to someone trying to get to where you are. They can see the light, they can head towards the light, and they can get to the place of rest, to the campfire, whatever it is. A lighthouse is a light beacon. It's placed at a dangerous location to warn approaching ships of the danger. A lighthouse warns to stay away, but they can also be used to point the way. The story is told of, of coming into the harbor at Savannah. The ships come in, and there are three light beacons out on the water. And the pilot, way out to sea, can know he's on the right course when he steers his ship to those three lights light up. When, he, when they come in to alignment, he knows he's going to go straight up into the harbor and not risk hitting on the shoals, not getting land, not getting beached. So light warns of danger, and light guides the way. We're to be the light of the world, warning people of danger they may be approaching, while simultaneously showing them the way to peace and safety. We are to be the light of the world, showing them Jesus Christ by the way we live which means we need to live the life of Jesus Christ, the life He commanded us to live. If we are open-minded and embrace the ways of the world so that we'll fit in, so that people will like us, we cloud the light within us. We confuse those needing to see the light, and we diminish the true light of the world, Jesus Christ. John eight twelve, Jesus said, he spoke again to the people when he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Earlier in this service, we recognized those who served their country in one of our branches of the military. All of those mentioned today have since passed from this world, and some fell performing their duty to defend our freedom and to free others from oppression. All of them were not devout believers. They weren't necessarily Christians. They may have been of a different faith, but whether they were followers of Christ or not, they gave their lives for a country that was established on the principles of God. They fell serving a country that was founded so we could worship as our conscience dictates and not according to the whims of a monarch. We do these great men and women a disservice if we do not continue their act of service by upholding and proclaiming the ideal values and teachings of our God on whose principles this great country was founded. Today, as we close this service, may all of us be reminded and deeply impressed by the Holy Spirit of the freedom we have in Christ Jesus.
and of the continued freedom gained by the lives of those veterans mentioned today and all of those who gave their all. May we repent from not upholding these values in our lives and in teaching those values to all those around us. In honor of our fallen veterans, our fallen brethren, may we determine to renew and increase our devotion to Jesus Christ and the principles for which he died for us.